Hey, welcome to New River Church's podcast. We're really glad you decided to join us today. We pray that this message blesses you and encourages you. If you're looking for some more information about New River Church, just look us up at newriverchurch.org. So, like you said, my name's Kasten, and, uh, and I, I'm just very thankful to be here with you guys. This is a special church congregation for me uh, growing up here and being in attendance here. I will admit, I look out, and um, most of you I do not know, and I uh, wish that I got the chance to know you better. Uh, but there are a lot of you that I do know, and so it's sweet to know people that are here um, that have known me my whole life, and also that there are people here that I have yet to meet. And that's just a joy uh, for me to be able to witness as this church continues to grow uh, and bless this community. So I'm very thankful for you guys and for the blessing you are to my family. So I want to start with that. Well, as you said, my wife Caitlin is here um, sitting over there. She and I have been uh, living in the Dayton, Ohio area. Um, she's going to hate me for this, but today is her birthday. So when you see her... When you, see, when you see her, you can tell her happy birthday. But she and I live in the Dayton, Ohio area. She works as a labor and delivery nurse um, there, um, delivering babies all the time, which is her passion. She loves it. She's great at it, in my humble opinion. Uh, and I work as a nurse practitioner in family medicine. Uh, as a nurse practitioner, I, I serve as a primary care provider, meaning that I get to diagnose and treat illnesses of all kinds. Uh, I get to see children that are just born uh, that come into my office, and I get to see um, adults all the way up into their um, you know, early hundreds. And so it's a joy to be able to see uh, uh, them grow and, and, and treat them throughout the lifespan. But one of the key parts of my job is to diagnose illness, right? And when you, know, you guys know when you go to the doctor's office, you don't go to the doctor's office because you know, you're feeling well and you just want to talk, right? Like you go because something's wrong. So I go there and I treat, I, I treat illness and I diagnose illness. And diagnosing an illness takes steps. It takes a process. It doesn't, you don't just walk into a room and go, that's what you got. Here you go. Go on home, right? Sometimes you can look into an ear and say, oh yeah, that ear is infected. You know, here's some antibiotics, go home. Um, but other times it's as complex as uh, you know, getting blood work, getting imaging, trying to figure out, having you see a different type of doctor, right, that specializes in that area, uh, coming up with a list that we call a differential diagnosis list, meaning it's all the different things that it could be, uh, and then eventually working our way down into figuring out what the actual diagnosis is uh, that the patient has and treating it. And so it's a, it's a journey, it's a process. And worship is actually very, very similar. Uh, and so that's why I'm very thankful to talk about it this morning. We're going to talk about this concept of worship sickness. I don't know if this is going to work or not. If it doesn't, we'll just advance that. That's a great question. I think so. It is on, believe it or not. But there we go, worship sickness. So worship sickness is what we're going to talk about this morning. And so we're going to figure out what it means to be sick uh, in our worship. And we're going to figure out how to diagnose worship sickness since it's not something that's common in the medical community. And then we're going to figure out what God's word has to say about it and how we can fix it. And so if you bear with me this morning, we're going to go through this process together. And, uh, and when we're done, you guys will all be able to diagnose worship sickness and just be one step closer to being doctors. So that's exciting. 
So the main text this morning we're going to be out of is John chapter 4. I'd invite you guys to turn there. John chapter 4, verses 7 to 26. Uh, John was one of the disciples uh, of Jesus. He was often known as the disciple that Jesus loved. And so he would have had an eyewitness account to the Savior and to Christ on earth as he writes. And so he's writing to us a particular story uh, of Jesus. And uh, we're going to see how this directly translates into what it means to worship with a new heart uh, and a new soul. And so in our church back home, uh, it's different, I know, but in our church back home, we stand in the reading of God's word. It signifies both that we're standing firm on the word of God and also just in honor of it. And so if you're able and you're comfortable, I want you to stand with me this morning as we read John 4, 7 to 26. The text says this, A woman from Samaria came to draw water. Jesus said to her, Give me a drink, for his disciples had gone away into the city to buy food. The Samaritan woman said to him, How is it that you, a Jew, ask for a drink from me, a woman of Samaria? For Jews have no dealings with Samaritans. Jesus answered her, If you knew the gift of God and who it is that is saying to you, Give me a drink, you would have asked him, and he would have given you living water. The woman said to him, Sir, you have nothing to draw water with, though in the well is deep. Where do you get that living water? Are you greater than our father Jacob? He gave us the well and drank from it himself, as did his sons and his livestock. And Jesus said to her, Everyone who drinks of this water will be thirsty again, but whoever drinks of the water that I will give him will never be thirsty again. The water that I will give him will become in him a spring of water welling up into eternal life. And the woman said to him, Sir, give me this water so that I will not be thirsty or have to come here to draw water. And Jesus tells her, Go, call your husband, come here. And the woman answered him, I have no husband. Jesus said to her, You are right in saying I have no husband, for you have had five husbands, and the one you now have is not your husband. What you have said is true. The woman said to him, Sir, I perceive you're a prophet. Our fathers worshipped on this mountain, but you say in Jerusalem is the place where people ought to worship. Jesus said to her, woman, believe me, the hour is coming, <clears throat> sorry, the hour is coming when neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem will you worship the Father. You worship what you do not know. We worship what we know for salvation is from the Jews. But the hour is coming and is now here when true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and truth. For the Father is seeking such people to worship him. You may be seated. You know, the idea of worship is something that is not native to us Christians. People worship every single day. We're walking currently, today's December 26th, meaning it's the day after Christmas. What does scripture say? In the days after Christ's birth, who came to visit him? Wise men, right? And the wise men came to do what? There we go. They came to worship. And so as the wise men came to worship, there's no biblical indication anywhere that the wise men were God-honoring Christians. They were not. We don't know that they weren't, so I'm not saying they weren't, but we also don't know that they were. And oftentimes in that day, the wise men were magicians and these astronomers who believed in the world and the signs. And so there's no really true saying that they followed the God of Jacob. There's no saying they followed the Israelite God. But yet they still came to worship. And Daniel, way back when, we believe, was the origin of this story that told the wise men what to be looking for in the Star of David as they then came to seek and follow Jesus to worship him. So the wise men worshipped. So Christianity is not the only religion that worships. But what does it mean to worship with a new heart, with a new soul, with a new mind? 
Jesus answers that here in this text. So that's what we're going to talk about this morning. Our main idea is this. Worship flows from the heart toward whatever the heart is captivated by most. Say that again. Worship flows from the heart toward whatever the heart is captivated by most. On the screen behind me, there's a couple pictures. Let's look at them. Just a second. Not not there. Okay. Oh, all the pictures are out? Okay. Never mind. Communication error. So, pretend behind me there's a picture of a Starbucks cup. All right? If you guys, wow, right? Look at that Starbucks cup. If you guys saw Starbucks, you guys would know instantly what they sell, right? A lot of people, I mean, I can't tell you how much money comes out of our bank account when, um, when Starbucks is in the picture. So, uh, Starbucks, we all know of. What about if you saw that little New England Patriots flag? You guys would all probably know what the New England Patriots is. Less common, I don't know if um, the John Party's here, um, but what about the Ohio State football sign? Anyone know the Buckeyes, right? O-H? There we go. One person. So, we... Um, <laughs> We love Ohio State football. These are things that people worship. Hear me out. Worship is flowing from the heart towards whatever the heart is captivated by the most. I have actually been in congregational settings where guys have their phones propped up on water bottles watching the Ohio State football game while they're in church watching the sermon at the same time. Right? Now, I'm not calling that out as sin, but... But... What is the heart showing in that moment? Where is the heart's priority? What is the heart captivated by the most? Because worship flows from the heart to whatever you're captivated by the most. Let's see how Jesus explained this. Point number one, Jesus is not afraid to cross lines. This is going to be a short point. Historically, the nation of Israel was not, um, it, was, it was broken up into these 12 tribes, right? So when Jesus and the Samaritan woman are sitting there at the well, she, makes the, she, she starts it, right? She says, why are you talking to me? I'm a woman from Samaria, you're, you're a Jew, you're a man. And Jesus was a rabbi, so there are a lot of no-nos there. Where did that come from? Way back when, if you look at the map behind me, there, was a, um, there were 12 tribes of Jerusalem, or of, of Israel, right? Ten in the north, two in the south. You'll see Benjamin right about in the middle, Jerusalem's in the center of it, and then Judah below it. And then the tribes above that with the other ten tribes, Samar- the Samaritans, okay? All ten, the twelve tribes of Israel. The south had a king and the north had a king. South was King Rehoboam, north was King Jeroboam. King Rehoboam declares war on King Jeroboam because he wants to unite all the kingdoms of Israel, the 12 tribes of Israel. And we actually see in 1 Kings 12, God's the one that intervenes to stop that. He uses his prophet Shemaiah, stops that from happening. And, um, and, And it says in that text that, King Rehoboam and King Jeroboam had this division all the days of their life uh, following that particular time. And so there's this constant strife between them. Eventually, Assyria takes over, and the, tw- the ten tribes in the north, the Samaritans, uh, they begin to uh, marry uh, and intermingle with the Assyrians. And so from then on forward, the true Jews, um, if you will, of the south declared the Samaritans dirty or unclean. And so that began this constant strife between those nations. So 
that's where this is coming from. The Samaritan woman says, what are you doing, right? <laughs> Why are you talking to me? We, we, we don't talk to each other. Um, <clears throat> be like an Ohio State football fan and a Michigan fan. It just doesn't go well together. So, um, so, so Jesus first crosses this line to talk to her. And, um, and so very simple point, very quick point. Uh, we're going to move to the next point very fast. But the first, the first thing we see right, right from the beginning of this interaction between Jesus and the Samaritan woman is that Jesus crosses lines. And he comes to you. There's not, a, there's not a divide or a space between you and he that he cannot cross. He's willing to do it. And there starts worship. Second point is that a transformed heart begins with an unrefusable offer. Let's look at this. The Samaritan woman is intrigued with Jesus. She, she, he speaks to her, he's talking to her, and she starts to bolden her approach to Jesus. She, she starts to question him, right? And she's starting to kind of push back a little bit on, on, on what he's saying. And so Jesus here says that he's going to offer her two different water, or living water, right? He's going to say, I'm going to give you living water if you drink from, from, from this water that I have to give to you. And so Jesus is using an interesting illustration here. But he's saying that, um, that there's this water that he, that he can give. And, and water for the Israelites has been a sensitive subject, right? Think back to the Israelites when they came out of Egypt and they were in the, in the, in the wilderness, in the desert, and they needed water. And so Moses strikes the rock and gives them water. So very from the beginning, water has equaled life. It's, it's, it's been a life-giving thing for human beings, and it's, it was, for the Israelites it was needed. Later on, we actually see in Jeremiah and Isaiah, they prophesy about this living water that's coming. And then we see at the very end of the Bible, in Revelation uh, 22, 17, the Spirit and the bride say, come, and let the one who hears say, come, and let the one who is thirsty come, let the one who desires to take the water of life do so without price. So this concept of water has been from the very beginning all the way to the very end, and all throughout the text, water has equaled life. So Jesus is giving the woman the chance for eternal water, eternal life that will cause her to never be thirsty again. And she's intrigued by it. She says, give me that water. I want it, right? I don't want to have to draw this water anymore from the well. And so she begins to ask, ask him for it. The start of worship starts after Jesus crosses the divide and then comes to you and a transformation of your heart starts when you start to accept the water that he has to give, right? But that act of taking the water, that act of, of drinking it, that, that's actually an act of humility. So there's humility in worship, right? So humility, there's two forms of this word in the, in the text. The Hebrew says shakah. I'm probably butchering that. The Greek says proskinio. But the Hebrew, both of them, look, to bow down or prostrate oneself before a monarch or superior. The Greek, to do reverence by kissing the hand or by prostration, to bow oneself in adoration. Do you see a common uh, denominator between those two? Both, both definitions of the word humility involve an action. The both of them, to bow down or to prostrate, to do reverence by kissing or by prostrating, to bow oneself. There's an action involved in humility. And Jesus is saying, if you take this cup and drink it, you're going to have eternal life. But to do so, there's humility involved. What is the humility? What is the action? Pretend that I have for you a cup. This is your drinking cup. You've been drinking from it all day. 
It's filled up with water. It's a little bit of maybe a little bit of lipstick that touched the water. There's maybe a little bit of dirt in there. Maybe a bug fell in it. I'm not sure, right? The water's dirty. This is the water you've been drinking from. And I come to you and I say, I've got the purest water there is to offer right here. Do you want it? And you say, heck yeah, I do. And you hold your cup out. And I pour that pure water into your water that you've been drinking all day. What did I just make? A lot more dirty water, right? To take that water... And to get clean, fresh, perfect water, I've got to dump out the old so that my cup is ready to be filled up with the new. The action of humility is getting rid of that old self to take on the new self that Christ has to offer. Here, worship starts to begin. I've got to get rid of the old to bring in the new. But the danger, friends, is this, that so many... My fear is we come into church, we come into the place of God, we come into a time of worship, and our goal or our motive is not to take the new water because we just want Jesus. The goal is, well, I failed at the old, I need a new identity, and Christ says I get a new identity in him, so I'm going to get that new identity, whether... I try hard or not. And so they're going to come to church. I'm going to be a holy one. I'm going to praise. I'm going to sing. I'm going to lift my hands. I'm going to worship. I'm going to pray. I'm going to go to small group or life group. I'm going to get involved in all these things. But the goal is not to meet Jesus. The goal is because you just want the clean water. The woman, give me that water. I don't want to come to this well. Right? When we are looking for the water and the water only, we're going to miss Jesus. When we're looking for Jesus and Jesus only, we're going to get the water. Let's look at how Tim Keller says this. Love Tim Keller. Tim Keller says it like this. Once you see the Son of God loving you like that, once you are moved by that visceral and existentially, you begin to get a strength, an assurance, a sense of your own value and distinctiveness that is not based on what you're doing or whether somebody loves you, whether you've lost weight or how much money you've got. You're free. The old approach to identity is gone. He quotes C.S. Lewis by saying this, shorter, it is when I turn to Christ, when I give myself up to his personality, that I finally begin to have a personality of my own. If I'm looking for the personality, if I'm looking for the new identity, I'm going to miss Jesus. But if I'm looking for Jesus, I get the new identity also. And so humility in worship means I'm not just coming here because I want to be looked at as something new, because I failed as a dad, because I failed as a mom, because I failed at my job, because I gained too much weight, because I failed in this, because I failed in that, so I'm going to get out this new identity. Coming into a place of worship starts by emptying out the old water, I just want Jesus. And if I want Jesus the new identity comes. And so Jesus crosses the divide, point number one. Point number two, a transformation starts in our heart. And then Jesus lands the plane. And he says this, point number three, worship is to be done in spirit and in truth. John 4, 16 to 24. Jesus first identifies that the hour is coming when we're not going to have to worship anymore. It doesn't matter where we worship. Remember what I said how before the tribes were split one of the key things that caused those tribes to be split is because Judah and Benjamin, those tribes, wanted the worship place to be in Jerusalem. That's where God had his worship set, right? And the northern tribes didn't want to travel to Jerusalem for that worship. And so they, they split. 
And the, the King Jeroboam sets up these altars in the north where the northern tribes can worship. And God intervenes and stops that because Jerusalem is that holy place where, where he's going to have the worship take place. And so that's what the Samaritan woman's calling out. She's like, you believe that, that Jerusalem's where we have to worship, but we've been worshiping on this mountain. And Jesus says, the hour is coming when it doesn't matter where you worship from. What matters is that you worship in spirit and in truth. So what does he mean by spirit and truth? What Jesus is saying is that there's now an inner and an outer place of our worship. It starts with the inner. The inner is that spirit. Remember, spirit and life, water, all of, we drink that water, we take on the spirit, we're filled with the spirit, and that transformation starts to take place. Life happens. Then the truth on the inside is holding on to and understanding and grasping fully who God actually is. And when you see God for who he actually is and not for who you've made him up to be in your mind, you start to worship. Because there's no possible other thing that you can do other than worship when you face Jesus. And when you see him for the beauty that he actually is, it yields a response of worship. John Piper says it like this, right worship or pleasing worship comes from a good grasp of who God is and a grasp of the supremacy of God's worth or value which is infinite. True worship is valuing or treasuring God above all things. You know that the old English word for worship was worthship. W-O-R-T-H, worthship. Meaning that what I valued in most, what my heart gave the most worth is what I wanted to praise. And that translated into our modern day word, worship. So the inner is what does my heart value most? Leads to an outer expression of praise. Hebrews gives us a better understanding of what that looks like. Because it's not just singing. We're going to talk about that. Hebrews 13, 15 to 16 says this. Through him then let us continually offer up a sacrifice of praise to God. That is the fruit of lips that acknowledge his name. Do not neglect to do good and to share what you have. For such sacrifices are pleasing to God. So the outer expression of our worship does not just mean singing, but there is an outer expression to our worship. Hebrews, remember that the old, the, the writer of Hebrews, we don't know who it is, we could speculate, but we don't know who it is, he oftentimes compares Old Testament versus New Testament law. And when he does so, he's making a point. He's helping us understand what the new way is in Christ. The Old Testament law, in our worship, in the time of worship, there involved a sacrifice, an animal sacrifice. And the, the writer of Hebrews is saying, there's still sacrifice in worship. The sacrifice is the fruit of your lips, right? And the action of your heart. So praise, singing praise is worship. What about praying is worship? Exalting God by, by words of encouragement to another is worship. Loving your neighbor is worship. Loving your wife is worship. Loving your husband is worship. Raising your kids to love the Lord, it's worship. The outer expression 
of a heart that's been transformed by Jesus, that has seen Jesus for who he is, is worship. So, point one, point two, point three. Pretty, pretty straightforward, right, as Jesus is talking about it. But let's look at the application, because remember, we're talking about worship sickness, trying to figure out how to diagnose that. So first, we have to understand what worship is. We have to understand what Jesus says about worship and where it comes from and what it means. But next, we have to figure out what, what comes into me making that diagnosis. Well, there's five steps. First step is figuring out that something is wrong. Like I said at the beginning, you don't go to the doctor's office because you feel great. You go to the doctor's office because something's wrong. I don't know what, but something's wrong. First step in understanding that worship sickness is there is that something's wrong. I need to know it. I'm, I'm here on Sunday morning, but I'm not here at the same time. I, I, I just don't want to love my neighbor. I just, I, man, my husband drives me nuts. Very real thing if you ask my wife. But the attitude behind it is bad if you're holding that on as resentment. If, if, if loving with your whole heart is difficult, maybe something's wrong. Maybe you're here and you look at my dad worship over here and you're like, that's good for him, but this is weird, right? And so I don't feel comfortable doing that. And I'm just going to stand like an awkward person at a middle school dance, right? Like I don't know what else to do, <laughs> right? I, whatever your heart is in worship, if, if, if there's sickness there, then something's wrong. And Jeremiah tells us that every, our heart, Jeremiah 17, 9, the heart is deceitful above all things and desperately sick. Who can understand it? Our hearts are sick, so something's wrong. Step two is getting a good history. What led to that sickness? When did you start to notice it? What was going on in your life when you started to notice it? What was your view of God when you started to notice it? Where were you reading in scripture when you started to notice it? Step three, getting a good assessment. What does it look like? Step four, what are all the things that it could be? Step five, what's the diagnosis? If worship comes from the heart and the heart is sick, then the worship will be sick. So the heart can't be sick. And if the heart is sick, then maybe you've just mixed the living water with your old water, and now you've just got a lot of old water. Just got to figure out where that heart is sick. And to do so, I think we ask ourselves a couple questions. The first question is this. If you find yourself in a position where worship is difficult, whether it's on Sunday morning or throughout the week, then the first step is to ask yourself if you're coming to Jesus for a new identity and using him as a means to an end, or if you're coming to Jesus because you just want him. Are you here this morning because the old identity failed? Because what you were doing pre this wasn't working. And you came here not because you wanted Jesus, but because you just wanted a new start for something else. And let me be very careful with this one because I don't want to discourage you. That's not necessarily a bad thing because this is a safe space where you can come. I know that, 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 that this church has been a place like that for a lot of people, and I'm thankful for that. The church is a safe space for you to come and figure it out, right? But if you're coming here and, you're, and you land on, I'm perfectly content skipping the Jesus part, but just being in this community and saying, I just want to be a new person and I want people to think that I'm holy, but I'm not actually going to do the work, then you're missing Jesus. Step one. 
Better put, if Jesus was not in heaven, would you want to go? If, if Jesus was not there, would that still be your destination vacation? Question two to ask yourself is this. Are you putting too much emphasis on the action of worship and forgetting the purpose of worship? Like I said, if you're over here and you're looking at my dad sitting there, standing there, and he's clapping off beat and he's raising his hands... <laughs> We know what happens. But if we're sitting here and we're watching him and, and, and his demonstration of worship makes you uncomfortable, and so then your result is you're just going to stop doing it because you just feel awkward. Are you putting too much emphasis on the action and you're forgetting the purpose? Because the purpose is that my worth is nothing. The worth of Jesus is everything. And, be, and when I see that worth for all that it actually is, then maybe what he's doing is what I'm going to do. But it also might look like what Pastor Kenny just did in worship, and he, he fell down on his knees to praise and pray. It also might look like praying with someone. It also might look like coming up to the altar. It also might look like standing there and singing. Maybe you just busted your shoulder and you can't raise your hand. That's okay. This does not mean you're worshiping. Worship comes from the heart. And if the heart is sick, then the worship is going to be sick. But if the heart is whole, then that worship is going to be beautiful. The last question to ask then is, is worship coming from a place where it's contingent on whether or not God is checking off the boxes in my life? And this, in full transparency, is where I find myself the most. This is where um, everything's going great in life, right? I got the car, I got the job, my wife's doing great, she's cooking every single night, good food, everything's happy, my kids are well, my job's successful, the paycheck came in, I'm in great health, everyone I love is in great health, no one has COVID, so... Praise God, right? It's easy to praise when it's easy. But is it also natural to praise when it's hard? Because when, when you start to think that maybe God's missing some checks boxes in your life and, and you start getting let down, is your natural response to still worship and praise him. And this is something that we wrestle with on a regular basis, myself included, brief story for you, um, but my wife and I were very excited to, very excited to welcome our first child back in February, we found out, thank you, back in February, and early on in the pregnancy, we thought that um, we miscarried, she had a lot of symptoms of the miscarriage, and so we thought that we miscarried, and I remember being in the doctor's office, and they were doing the ultrasound, trying to figure out what was going on, and they said they couldn't quite find what it should look like, but they also couldn't find what the bad would look like, so we're going to have to wait on the blood test to find out whether or not the pregnancy is going along, and the pregnancy did 
praise, praise God, the HCG level started to rise. And in that moment, I started, we, we, we prayed and we started thinking, you know what? The entire duration of this pregnancy is going to be marked on a song. And we're going to, no matter what happens, we're going to sing, Though you slay me, yet I will praise you. Though you take from me, I will bless your name. Though you ruin me, still I will worship. I'll sing a song to the one who's all I need. And that became our anthem. And it was really stinking easy to sing that song when things were going well. And then when I was at work, I got a phone call from my wife that she was at the ultrasound place and the doctor couldn't find the heartbeat. And the first words that came to my heart and in my mind in that moment were, God, though you slay me, yet I will praise you. Though you take from me, I will bless your name. Though you ruin me, I will worship. I'll sing a song to the one who's all I need. And that's hard. That's very hard. Because when life throws a curveball at you, your first gut reaction is to curse God and to say, why did this happen? And you know what? Being upset with God is natural. We see that all through Psalms with David. It's okay to cry out to God with your frustration, right? But the end result has to be worship. It has to be worship. Because if you stop worshiping, then you've given in to the fact that you're saying God is not worth it. And if you've given in to the fact that God is not worth it, all that's left is that everything you did was because he was only worth it if he was meeting your standards. But I have news for you. God's standards supersede yours every day. Every day. So though he takes from you, you worship. Though he ruins you, you worship. He is all you need. That's it. So worship sickness creeps in when my priorities have changed. But Jesus crosses a divide. He comes to you. He offers you this beautiful, eternal water, water that you will never thirst for again because he gives you all that you need. And when you accept that water, your heart starts to transform. And as your heart starts to transform, you see Jesus for who he is. And when you see Jesus for who he is, you start to worship. And you worship in word. You worship in truth. You worship with songs of praise. You worship with prayers of praise. You worship with actions of love. You worship with reaching out to those who love you. Reaching out to those who don't love you. And in doing so, your sacrifices are made known to God, and he is pleased. So all month long, you've been hearing about this concept of worship. But my question to you this morning is, is your worship going to be a result of something that you think you have to do or something that you want to do? And as we reflect on the fact that Jesus came down as a baby, he crossed the biggest divide that there possibly was. Are we going to enter into a season of forgetting that until Easter? Are we going to enter into a season where we just get so busy and we allow the weight of what we're feeling to weigh us down? 
Or are we going to practice what we preach? Are we going to be the church that worships through it all? Are we going to be the church that worships until Jesus comes back? Are we going to be the church that worships so hard that when Satan wakes up, he's afraid of New River Church? Are we going to worship so hard that Satan looks and says, dang it, I can't get anything done because they just keep worshiping? Are we going to worship so hard that nothing else matters? That fear ceases. That heartache ceases. That tears stop flowing. That pain doesn't feel very painful at all. That distraction goes away. That disunity between you and someone else here ceases and stops and is made whole. That there's no more bickering and, and, and prioritizing these minute details because the only detail that matters is Jesus is coming back and I'm going to keep on singing until he does. What's your choice going to be? And if you're here this morning and, 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 you're, and your heart is sick, first thing I need to tell you is you're not alone. Don't be ashamed of that. Because the Bible says it's going to be. If the Bible says it's going to be, then it is. So don't be ashamed of that. But don't walk out the door letting your heart still be sick. If you came into my office and your blood pressure was sky high and you were in congestive heart failure and you felt like crud, you wouldn't walk out like, you know what? I'm just going to keep this. We'll talk about it later. You'd say, fix me, right? Jesus can fix you. So, so identifying that your heart is sick is okay, but don't walk out letting it still be sick when you leave. So, so take time as we, as we sing. Take time as we worship through song. Come up to the altar. Find someone to pray for you and rechange your prioritizing. Maybe your first step this morning is that Jesus has crossed that divide to you, but you're just still super hesitant to pour out your old water and take the new water for yourself. And maybe the first step is that. Maybe the first step is just finding someone to pray with you and fully giving your life over to Jesus for the first time and then watch and wait for that transformation to happen because it's going to be sweet. Maybe the second step is saying, you know what, I trust Jesus, but man, my water is mucky. And I, I, need, I need some clean water. Do business with Jesus this morning. Maybe your step is... You know, I've been worshiping, but I just, I just come here and it just, I just feel awkward about it. Or I only worship for 10 minutes on Sunday morning and I go home and I'm, I'm a totally different person. And I forget to worship through the week. And if, and if that's the case, do business with the Lord and allow him to change your heart. And I promise you, if you practice this worship, then no matter what comes your way, you're going to be singing, though you slay me, I will praise you. Though you take from me, I will bless your name. Though you ruin me, I will worship. I'll sing a song to the one who's all I need because the greatest heartbreak can't quench that fire that's in your soul. Let's pray this morning. Merciful, perfect, holy God, you stand above all things. You've been the same yesterday, today, and forever.
You created all things. In you are all things. In you all things will be. You have stood since the beginning of time waiting, waiting for this moment for our hearts to be changed. You've been watching us. You've been crossing that divide to us. You've been waiting there for us to take that drink. And you have been so good to us along the way. And God, our lives are marked with heartache. But the heartache is not anything that comes close to the glory that's found in you. You are good to us. You are merciful to us. You heal us. You give us good things. You give us everything that we need. In you is perfect happiness and perfect joy. Father, would you move our hearts this morning? Would you change our hearts this morning to want you and you only? Would you move out of our minds every distraction, every pain, every angry thought, every bitter thought, every jealous thought? Would you get rid of it and make way for only you? And Jesus, would you show us the full extent of your beauty this morning to the exact amount that we are able to handle. And let that result within us inner and outer expressions of praise. We love you. We thank you. You are good. And we worship you. And it's in your perfect name that we pray. Thanks for listening today. If you'd like more encouragement or information about New River Church, check us out at newriverchurch.org.